Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a wide-eyed young musician called Danny Moran, who arrives in the Big Apple with a heart full of song and a head full of dreams. To make ends meet, she starts work at a sleazy but charming dive bar staffed by some other beautiful, vivacious gals. The girls make great tips by partying alongside with the clientele. They leap up onto the bar, spray booze and water around, wail along to some classic pop bangers, and generally strut their stuff in an empowering display of sisterhood that is also very erotic for all the gawping, drunken deadbeats. Unfortunately, her dad disapproves and forces her to quit her job at Coyote Ugly and take up a more responsible career talking about and reviewing films. A reluctant Danny Moran begins her new life as a film chatter and meets me, Sam Foster. <laughs> Hello, Danny. Hi! On this week's episode, we review The Jungle Book, Disney's latest live-action remake of one of their beloved animations. It's a film with such impressive photorealistic CGI that it makes Avatar 5 look like Avatar 2. Probably. I mean, we'll wait a decade <laughs> to verify that. We also examined recently re-released Akira Kurosawa King Lear adaptation classic Ran. Try saying that when you're drunk. And Sam tackles last year's Palm Door winner, Deepan. Was it Palm Dorsome or Palm Dorable? Stay tuned to find out. Plus we get colon and open bracket sign when discussing the plot synopsis for the upcoming Emoji film. And wonder whether Johnny Depp's recent turn as man who gives a shit about the Australian ecosystem is his most phoned in performance to date. And finally, as this is the 70th episode of Film Chat, I'll be celebrating by listing the first 70 entries in the Wong Fei Hong franchise, from 1949's Wong Fei Hong Zan, Bang Feng Mei Zhu, to 1979's Lin Shai Rong, and taking in such classics as 1956 Hong Fei Hong Lei Tai Bi Wu, and of course 1969's Hong Fei Hong Hu Di Do Wu Lang. Wow, that was really good. What it's is that be, franchise? Like, what is I it? I don't know. I just found it on Wikipedia. Okay. There's 87 entries in it, though. That must be excellent to have been so long running. <laughs> films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. These good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, love, home, trip films. Chat has been
Regular film chat correspondee and friend of the show, Dougal McQueen, writes in. He says, suggestion for a versus movie. Beru versus Baloo. Luke's aunt in Star Wars versus the lovable bear from the Jungle Book. She was no match for the Empire. He couldn't stomach a prickly pear. Who will win? (laughs) Comments on his own comment there. Who will win? (laughs) He asks again. The real question is, why is the lovable bear from the Jungle Book out to get on Baru, or vice versa? Well, I think it did, you know... Well, on Baru, sorry. I don't think that's important, Danny. It wasn't important in Batman v Superman. Oh, yeah, it's not true. important in Baru versus Baloo. Well, he's a huge bear, and she's like a woman from the 70s. Yeah. Well, she's not. She's from the galactic 70s, Yeah, so a long, long time before She's the like 70s. the only person wearing her own clothes in that movie. She's just like just <laughs> from the 70s. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I think the outcome of the fight will be dependent on uh, where they have it. Because the desert is not a very friendly place for a bear to be, right? He's a jungle bear. Yeah. So I think when if he's on Tatooine, he'll be a bit just hot. overheat. He'll overheat, and so he'll be, you know, that'll be it for him. Whereas I think Aunt Beru doesn't look to me like she could survive long in the jungle. You know, it's there's true. many dangers. I would say the singing bear is probably the least of them. <laughs> but... <laughs> But if he resembles the bear in the most recent version of Jungle Book, he will look pretty fucking terrifying. So, um, yeah, he looks like he could eat an aunt. I was thinking about, like, if this was a movie, I think the way it would play is that they start fighting for no reason. Then they both, they're both their uh, mothers are called Martha, of course. So, <laughs> um, so that resolves the conflict. And then they have to team up to fight Erica Bardu, the godmother of Sol. Yes. I'll watch that. I'd watch it. <laughs> Just a, yeah. They've got the technology. They can make that film. A soul singer, a pointless aunt, and a cartoon bear all fighting on the, you know, together. Yeah. Epic. Finally give the material Aunt Baru deserves. Yeah. She's underwritten. Absolutely. Now she gets to fight. It's going to make her even more money than Deadpool. Thank you, Dougal. Thank you, Dougal. Excellent fights chat. Uh, another bit of correspondence from me. What am I going to say? This. Uh, we have entered ourselves into this uh, podcast awards thing yeah and if we win uh we get to rule the world i don't know i haven't really what happens, what happens? we don't know basically prestige well we haven't entered ourselves we have requested that we be nominated yeah so our listeners have to nominate us and then uh if we are nominated then our listeners will have to vote for us basically this will turn film chat from its current state i mean how good is it now yeah but imagine that like 4,000 times better. Yeah, it's going to be a career-launching award for us. Yeah. The whole thing is going to be recorded on a yacht in the future. And, um, you know, a lot of champagne corks popping throughout. So it'll be, like, very choppy. <laughs> it'll, be exactly, kind of... <laughs> it'll be exactly the same, but we'll be on a yacht. <laughs> yeah, and the audio will be ruined by all the popping of the champagne corks. So if you want to help uh, achieve that dream... <laughs> to have a massive dive in quality for Film Chat. Yeah, um, but a rise in the cost of producing each episode... Go to www.podcastawards and then it will present you with a page of categories and go for the people's choice category because we are the people's choice. We just need you to confirm it. That's in the top left, I believe. And then in the top right is the TV and film category. Enter film chat and as our URL, enter our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash film chat podcast. Um, and then there's a little box where you can write in you know, I love film chat. It's wonderful. They talk about films very well. They're very good at that. Well done. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that's word for that's word we template. have to write, but that's the template. That's the basic one. So, yeah. So that would be great. I mean, we'd be very grateful if yeah. you could do that. 
on the reels we'd be well grateful the show is made by its listeners you are the only things that prevent this from being a real narcissistic exercise in self-love for danny and me um somehow condoned and supported by katie (laughs) (laughs) Um, enabled enabled yeah and hearing from you is the you know the highlight of our weeks and it's really a delight whenever people say that they enjoyed the show absolutely so um yeah but please show your appreciation in award form. Thank you. <laughs> uh, final bit of correspondence, again from me. Yeah, <laughs> Danny, uh, Danny again. What's he got to say this time? Well, last week you just talking about how Jared Leto is quite a punchable face. Yeah. And this week I learned there's a word for that, a German word, Bergfeifengesicht. Or I don't know how to pronounce it. Bergfeifengesicht. Gesicht. Which mm. means someone with a punchable face. Yeah, the German, they got a word for everything because their words are so long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Pfeifengesicht. Yeah, so the next time uh, you're when you're watching Suicide Squad, or if you're not a fan of Dallas Buyers Club, or you're uh, at a gig watching 30 Seconds from Mars, um, and you're not enjoying it, you can shout about Jared's, Shut your back, Pfeifengesicht, Jared! You know, or something. <laughs> Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So, one of the movies I'm most looking forward to is the Emoji film. Absolutely, yeah. There's a um, string of these movies which are not based on obvious properties, just random popular things. Yeah, the Angry Birds movie's coming out. The Angry Birds movie, they actually made that. They actually made that, (laughs) and they're actually making the Emoji film. And people will be like, how the hell do you make a film out of that? Well, now we have something of a plot synopsis. So it's basically a bit of a sort of poor man's Wreck-It Ralph where all the characters, all the different emojis live in uh, the text app, and they escape that app into the phone desktop... And every single app is like a separate world and they travel through all the different app worlds. Uh, yeah. Assuming learning lessons and going on very well-defined character arcs. Exactly. I think the key difference between this and Wreck-It Ralph um, is that in Wreck-It Ralph, they are going through interesting reimaginings of uh, computer games, the different kinds of computer games, but they're all fictional. So yeah. it's a kind of tribute to... Uh, shooter games or like mario kart or stuff like that whereas in the emoji movie the emoji are journeying through real apps so spotify is in the the movie facebook seems like it might be in the movie uber (laughs) (laughs) anyway it's hard to see how the, the line between advertisement and story is quite blurred yeah it's a bit of a dystopian uh vision isn't it the creation of this film it's like the sort of thing that some, like, uh, Bill Hicks would have, like, killed himself, you know, <laughs> after this announcement was made. It seems like the ultimate, like, corporate tie-in film. Do you reckon it's going to be, like, Inside Out, where they're all defined by one personality trait? Or, like, or like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or something? What, that's, like, smiley, non-unhappy yeah. face? Literally, there is literally grumpy. And, uh, I don't mind, as long as there's, cry. like, a, a smiling poo, that, that you know, I'm happy. <laughs> so i think that's the one that's got the most narrative potential the poo so that was exciting news the other bit of fantastic news that came out this week as if to jazz up the podcast as much as possible johnny depp and amber heard have completed their saga with pistol and boo their dogs and australia so to briefly recap we covered this on the podcast before 
um, they were entering Australia and they in a private jet, and they did not declare their two dogs to the Australian authorities, Pistol and Boo. Oh and the Australians disapprove. You have to declare all your animals. You have to declare all the mud on your shoes and all the shit under your fingernails and the little plants growing on your hair if you're Johnny Depp. You're kind of nuts. <laughs> Um, because they're very cautious about their ecosystem and anything can disrupt their, you know, little balance. Absolutely. And the Australians picked up on this and it's a criminal offence there and you can get up to 10 years in prison for doing this. So it's big, okay? And they were going to kill their dogs. Pistol was going to be shot. Boo was going to be scared to death. (laughs) They like ironic punishments that way. And now... Johnny Depp was addicted (laughs) to the highest point in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Amber was going to be crushed by, like, cattle. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Anyway, so they managed to resolve this issue, and the way they did that is by recording the world's b- most bizarre and insincere apology video. Um, now is the obligatory time we have to play it. <laughs> have a listen. Australia is a wonderful island with a treasure trove of unique plants, animals, and people. It has to be protected. Australia is free of many pests and diseases that are commonplace around the world. That is why Australia has to have such strong biosecurity laws. And Australians are just as unique, both warm and direct. When you disrespect Australian law, they will tell you firmly. I am truly sorry that Pistol and Boo were not declared. Protecting Australia is important. Declare everything when you enter Australia. Or Australia is pretty, it's a great place. It's you got yeah, Amber Heard sounds like um, she's sort of like the head girl who's been called into the headmaster's office and forced to apologize for something. Yeah, and is doing what she believes to be really sincere, but yeah. actually sounds like she hates every second of it. Yeah, you know. And Johnny is. Just and Johnny up. is just yeah, he's he's totally out of it. He's even more out of it than when he did that weird awards ceremony thing, and he was paying tribute to that guy, and he was just completely mashed. <laughs> so, um, I'm so and mashed. they gave him so many f- uh, fewer lines than Amber had to say because they knew he can barely cope. So, well, <laughs> declare everything into Australia. You know, he looks like a man who's on the outs, doesn't he? He doesn't look like a man who's going to have a career. That looks like the end of a career. Do you think that? Paris of the Caribbean was like the worst thing that happened to him. Like, yeah. Because like he shouldn't be like an A-list Hollywood star. He should be like a sort of just a character actor dude. Yeah. Uh, but he's, you know, now he's just, I don't know. Yeah, it, no, I agree. It's like what happens to child actors happened to Johnny Depp, except he wasn't a child when it happened. <laughs> he was like 42. That's just how <laughs> he was just as vulnerable as a child. Do you know what I, this just occurred to me, it's a great joke. Yeah, what occurred to you, Danny? In the uh, jury... Like, did ever, anyone ever say, you heard, but like pointed at Amber Heard when calling her up for, um, like, you know, for jury duty or whatever. Wrap, wrap or, <laughs> not jury duty, that'd be ridiculous. <laughs> calling up to the, to the yeah. court. She was called for jury duty at her own trial. <laughs> it's going to be Johnny's next film. Sounds exciting. Anyway, so I know that's a great climax to you, the Pistol and Boo saga. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really funny with him. I'm a man caught up for a jury duty <laughs> at his own trial. I think I'm innocent. <laughs> Guys. That's so good. Oh dear. Sorry, the gentle reprimand has turned into a stricter, more angry. End it. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Katie's a pretty tough lady and you gotta respect her. When she says no, you just gotta stop talking. Katie is a wonderful woman 
she gives a lot to the world and she has to be respected and so. when she tells you that the segment is running on too long you just gotta wrap it up and we didn't do that and I just wanna say I'm really sorry you gotta wrap it up looks like Sam's got a film to review he's just getting ready now Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. So, first review we'll be doing this week, the first of three, it's a, re- a bumper review week. It's gonna be Deepan. This won the Palm d'Or and Cannes last year. Um, it's directed by Jacques Audial, uh, who directed... Uh, the Beat That My Heart Skipped, and Rust and Bone, and A Prophet. Um, very well-regarded man. And it's a touching story of immigration, and also quite a, um elegant character drama. Um, so it's about a guy called Sivadarsan, who's played by someone called Anthony Tharsen, Jesu Tharsen. I'm going to really be pronouncing these names well. Yeah. Um, and he's a Sri Lankan who's fleeing, fleeing the civil war in the country. And in order to get asylum in France, he has to uh, pretend to be the member of a fake family with a woman called Yalini and a nine-year-old girl called Ilial. Um, and he takes on the identity of a dead guy and takes his passport. The guy's called Deepan, his title of the film. Um, and as a family unit, it's easier for them to uh, make it into France. So they get there, um, and then they each get jobs. He becomes clean. They both become cleaners in this um, uh, kind of housing project. Um, and Ilial goes to school. And there's a kind of simmering gang presence, um, which is like a kind of background threat throughout. So I really enjoyed it for the most part. Right at the end, it gets a bit too much of a movie. But I guess that just kind of shows you how the rest of the time it seems so natural and well done that it's only when it, like the moviness kicks in at the end that you really notice it. The thing that I really liked about it is that it sets up a really dramatically rich situation that can go in all sorts of different ways, each of which seems plausible, which makes it like automatically quite um, tense and exciting. Yeah. And it mines the um, drama and the dramatic possibilities in quite a subtle way. Like it doesn't go overboard with it, but it just kind of plays all these different kind of relationships. So Deepan, Yalini and Ilya, this little family, they're all total strangers to each other and they all have all four tragedies in their backgrounds, which is like left them alone and, you know, yeah. sort of forcing them to be together. And that means you're like naturally sympathetic towards them, but the movie doesn't sanctify them. So they are sort of untrusting. They like, they, they don't really trust each other and they're just sort of feeding their way. And every time the, it seems like they might be becoming a proper family, the movie does something to remind you that they're actually strangers and that um, it's very easy for them to be separated or to abandon each other part of what sells this really well is that the performances are extremely good even though it's called Deepan, both him and the woman yalini get pretty much equal development they're both absolutely fantastic i don't know anything about the lady who plays yalini who is called kaliaswari srivanasan but um anthony tharson jesu tharson is himself a former child soldier with the tamil tigers wow and which adds you know added authenticity so he's basically playing the you know who he actually is yeah um kind of his own story and yeah his performance is absolutely fantastic like he seems like a decent guy but he's also kind of messed up and he's got this really violent past and i don't know it's just like it's a sign of a good movie where you really don't know what anyone is going to do yeah you know they all seem like convincingly real people but you're just like 
and nothing really dramatic is happening but you feel like things are moving into place and like you know what i mean absolutely yeah and you are investing the characters because you want them all to like, bond with each other and become a team because mm-hmm. they all have this shared past but like it's also that past that could tear them apart so i thought that was all really really effective the only issue is like at the end basically it feels like they were doing all this really delicate character work but then at a certain point the filmmakers had said what they wanted to say in terms of the characters journeys yeah but it doesn't lead to the climax of the film so instead there's a kind of external thing that comes in and generates climactic dramatic action yeah okay. and uh and it feels a little contrived but it's fine like it didn't it didn't ruin the movie for me by any uh stretch immigration is constantly a kind of hot button political issue so you can't really watch this movie except through a political lens in a way um it doesn't feel like a kind of propaganda movie but it is obviously a social issue film and i think the approach to it is extremely good the key strength is that we sympathize with the plight of the characters without being overwhelmed by the grimness of their situation so i think the kind of um pitfall in making these kinds of films is that it's either just sort of really miserable and i found this a bit with 12 years a slave that it's just like the physical hardship is what is prioritized yeah, sensory overload yeah yeah and you shouldn't like you also can't make your characters too angelic because both those things don't make it real yeah so it shouldn't about it shouldn't be about how all immigrants are really great people it should just be about how immigrants are people mm-hmm. and that's what the movie sells so convincingly instead of concentrating on like the misery that they're in i mean it's like it doesn't flinch away from the poverty and everything like that and their situation is like quite nasty but at the same time, like that's not really the focus. The focus is on their emotional journey. And that's, I think, the, the correct approach to make it an effective story and also to make it a good story about, um, or a good way for the audience to invest in immigrants. You yeah. know? And I feel like that's what you want out of an immigration story. Do you think it's sort of specific to France's particular relationship with immigration or is... Um, I don't think so. I think it felt relatively universal, the kind of issues it's dealing with. It's not dealing with, like, particularly... It's not particularly Islamophobic, actually. Like, the threats that they face when they get there are not, like, people hate Muslims, which is one of the things that's kind of interesting about it. Um, It was more just the general presence of gang violence on the estate is a threat. And it felt like it was avoiding these... um, all the obvious things. So I think it's just as applicable to the UK... Cool. Um, as to here, it didn't it? Didn't yeah? It, just, it felt quite universal. What would Nigel Farage say about this film? I've no idea. I, I feel like he probably won't watch it. Like <laughs> maybe that's the problem. I mean, I guess like the thing is like these kinds of movies. Like it's saying something important socially, but it's also most of the audience is going to be the goatee sporting, chin stroking, you know, intellectual progressives who you already agree with it. Yeah. In the first place, which I guess lessens its like social impact, but yeah. But it's a cool movie, and I recommend it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a 
quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at. Like that's enough now. Back to film chat. So, Ran. Ran. Ran is a Akira Kurosawa film which was made 31 years ago and just has had a, a super 4K, more pixels than you can shake a stick at, re-release. It's playing at the BFI and a bunch of other venues around the country. It is a late-period Akira Kurosawa movie, and it is his version of King Lear. So if you're familiar with that plot, it's pretty much the same. But if you're not, here is the synopsis. <laughs> uh, so at the age of 70, after years of consolidating his empire, the great lord Hidatora Ichimonje... Let's just... Shall just we? stay with the first. Stick with the one name. <laughs> the great lord Hidetora decides to abdicate and divide his domain amongst his three sons. Taro, the eldest, will rule, and Jiro, uh, his second son, and Saburo will take command of the second and third castles. But they are expected to obey and support their elder brother. Saburo, who is a sort of straight-talking fella, uh, defies this pledge of obedience as a bad idea, and for being so honest... Uh, Lord Hiratora banishes him, and uh, things develop from there. It's quite best going in fresh, I think. Yeah, if you don't know the story. I mean, it's quite famous, but... It's, I mean, it's quite famous. It's quite famous. It's a famous play. Well, actually, first of all, we should say we are paid-up Kurosawa fanboys. Absolutely. We both love Kurosawa. You more so. You you were like... Well, as I, was, I was an early adopter. Yeah. Seven Samurai was one of my favorite films as a child. I was watching Three Men and a Baby. I'm literally You're sitting watching. beneath a Seven Samurai poster right now. Yeah, you actually are. <laughs> and, Which, um, by the way, this is from Japan. I bought it at age 13. That's what a... <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Japan... So that's how much of a Kurosawa fanboy I am. Yeah. And so with this film, I, it's a film I admire and I can appreciate, but I'm not completely sold. It's the huge masterpiece that it, everyone claims it is. And it is definitely epic. It's an epic movie. Yeah. But I found it a little uh, cold and distant. Deliberately so, but in a way which means I could never really fully get on board with the film. Yeah. No, I agree, actually. And I, I've seen it the movie once before, but like years and years ago. And my memory of it then, watching it then, was that um, I found it uh, like a little dull compared to something like The Seven Samurai, which is like really exciting, even though they're both samurai epics. Yeah. And so it was interesting to see it again now as like an older, more discerning person and be like, you know, I was ready to be like, what a fool I was as a child. You know? <laughs> but I actually kind of agree with my child self. It's definitely, yeah, it's not an easy a, a watch as some of his other movies. Yeah, I think... Like King Lear is one of Shakespeare's more unwieldy plays, and I was doing some research and via Wikipedia. That's when I say research, I've Wikipedia'd yeah. this, and there've only been four actual cinema adaptations. Ran being the only one you've heard of, and I think you can one way you can judge how successful a Shakespeare adaptation is is just by how clearly you can follow the plot. And for probably the, the best thing about this movie is like it's very clear but convoluted narrative. You yeah. know what's going on all the time in a way which is impressive uh, by itself. And part of this is down to Kurosawa being pretty much unsurpassed in his ability to compose shots and edit things in a way where the action is always pushing the narrative forward. And it's like every bit of the movie is telling you something that's powering it. For, and that's why he's a genius. Yeah. And it's also it's quite interesting to watch because this is the first color movie I've seen. He only made, he made like 28 movies and only the last five are in color. And the way he uses colors are interesting because he basically kind of color codes things. 
which sounds simplistic, but it's like a sort of genius move. And there's a very... Um, there's a lot of different factions in the movie. Exactly. So, and there's yeah. like a huge battle scene with like a bunch of armies with different people and different motivations. And you sort of follow it all. And, you know, after the current uh, sort of trend of just mowing down people and just carnage and sort of, you know, I feel like it's a shame to bring up Zack Snyder. Or yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this sort of, you know, it's refreshing in its clarity. Yeah, definitely. Every soldier literally has a flag on his back. <laughs> so you know exactly who he is. Yeah. I don't know if my problems with the film is the film or the source material. Uh, because a lot of the play and the film is about the sort of King Lear or Lord Hidetora character just going a bit nuts and wandering about the plains, lamenting his past. Yeah. And uh, that's when that's not in Shakespeare's original dialogue, because this is all in Japanese, uh, it does get a little repetitive. And I think also the Japanese acting style of just sort of like being very angry and screaming reaches a point of diminishing returns about 40 minutes in. Yeah. And it's a bit of a slog to get through. Even though the performance is like amazing and super committed, it's like, it's very tiring. I think that's true. I mean, the thing is in the Shakespeare, when Lear is out there doing all that raving, it's not moving the plot forwards, but each separate crazy speech is saying something new. It's like something new is happening, but it's in the language. And I feel like that's automatically not going to be as good if it's <laughs> not Shakespeare, you know? Yeah. Um, and you probably lose something in translation as well because subtitles are always simplified. It's weird. Like, I think all the good points about this movie just apply to all of Kurosawa's films because um, he's got so consistently great. And one of the reasons why he's so embraced by international audiences, aside from the slight sort of Western nature of a lot of his films, especially in the plotting, is that he's very he's a very humanist um, director and there's this cool quote um, by him where he said i suppose all my films have a common theme if i think about it though the only theme i can think of is really a question why can't people be happier together and his films always emphasize the sanctity of life and when characters die it's horrible and it matters and uh, he often makes the same point and maybe it's most evident in this one because ran is japanese for chaos is which like violence is futile and pointless and it's horrible and like what are we doing yeah but yeah i think this is definitely a film made by an old man and there's probably a dissertation a to be sad, made a sad about like shakespeare was kind of old when he wrote king lear and king lear is him and kurosawa is like co-opting shakespeare's king lear to talk about his you know personal concerns it's interesting to compare like this samurai epic with seven samurai which is made 30 years prior the difference is like in seven samurai he's like a sort of entertainer first but it's got like loads of cool ideas in that movie. Well, this feels very much like the ideas are a bit before the entertainment value. And it's like an old man presenting his worldview. And in a way, it's a bit deliberately detached because it's almost like, here are my themes and ideas expressed with these characters. Yeah, I think that's that's true. It's a very thematically rich movie, yeah. but it's not as immediately engaging. And also the worldview that it's expressing is very bleak. So a lot of his other movies which deal with the ideas you're talking about are like, the pointlessness of violence and, you know, why can't we all get along, basically, and that kind of thing. Those don't always have such pessimistic conclusion to that, you know, to that question. Like, they don't, all, they don't all answer that question you're quoting in the same way. Whereas in this movie, it seems to be like the reason is just because we're fucked, <laughs> you know? And the, the, that whole sanctity of life thing is um, very central to Buddhism. And Buddhism is kind of a theme in this movie. Uh, and the conclusion is kind of like, you know fuck that you know like doesn't <laughs> apply you know people don't pay attention to it it's a nice idea but it doesn't really work i would recommend it but i feel like you might get more out of it if you've seen some of his earlier stuff 
and it's fun to view it in con in the context of this body of work. And if you're a bit familiar with the play, I think it helps as well. Also, if you want to see like shit loads of samurai warriors running around and firing arrows and stuff, I mean, it does have that. You know, I don't want to undersell the fact that there are some big battles in this movie that look incredible. Yeah, it's like it's great, but it's I wouldn't rush to see it again. You know, I'm really glad I've seen it. It's under undeniably fantastically made, but it just doesn't hook you emotionally. But it's not supposed to. So I don't know if I'm criticizing a film for succeeding in its ambitions, which is a weird thing to do. But yeah. No, I agree. I, I I endorse everything you said. Thanks, man. Wholeheartedly. The film chat hive mind speaks again. <laughs> My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen of it. She wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. We all love The Jungle Book, don't we? I loved that growing up. I loved so it. So did many other people. You, yeah, between your seven samurai, your Jimbo double bill. Those <laughs> that you sneak in. Speaking of it at Disney, when my parents would let me. Um, it's like, it's not a black and white movie, but fine, child. So um, this has been remade by John Favreau. He of Swingers and Iron Man fame. Yeah. Um, and he's doing what uh, Disney have been doing recently, which is doing more like live action versions of some of their classics, which they did with Cinderella. And they kind of did a bit with Maleficent. Um, and this isn't really live action. It just looks like live action. Like the computer generated animation is so good that it looks real, yeah. uh, even though it isn't. Uh, but Mowgli is real, the main little boy. And uh, he's played by a newcomer called Neil Sethi. He is a young man cub. He's been raised by wolves in an Indian jungle. And he has to leave his wolf pack and set out on his own after he has been threatened by a man-hating tiger called Shere Khan, who in this version is played by Idris Elba. Here is a clip of Shere Khan encountering Mowgli for the first time. He's not impressed. I can't help but notice there's this strange odour today. What is it? This scent that I'm on. I almost... I almost think it was some kind of... man cub. Mowgli belongs to my pack, Shere Khan. Mowgli? They've given it a name. When was it? We came to adopt man into the jungle. He's just a cub. Does my face not remind you of what a grown man can do? I love Idris Elba's performance in this movie. He sounds great. Good work, Idris. So, I enjoyed this movie. It's got, like, really good reviews. And I probably enjoyed it a little less than its Rotten Tomatoes average. My issue, my central problem is in the conception of the film. And I kind of had it before I went in. I don't know if that counts as a bias, but yeah, it didn't really quite overcome it. So remakes have to sort of justify why they exist, you know? Yeah, the um, first one's beloved. Yeah, the classic. so it's like, why, why, you know, spend millions of dollars retelling that story? And the way that this movie justifies its own existence is we are using the absolute forefront of technical animation to do the most astounding lifelike animals and jungle you have ever seen, even though it's all invented. And that is all well and good, but I don't know if it serves the story of the Jungle Book. I think that's the problem, essentially. Yeah. And the issue is that um, when your animals look like real animals, they can't be as expressive as cartoon animals, because part of what makes cartoon animals expressive is their human-like features. You know, they're anthropomorphized. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
a, a panther when he's sad or when he's happy it just looks like a panther it's just a panther yeah you know and usually though we have to project our emotions onto those animals you know in the form of like cat and dog pictures sure on google and stuff but without being memed you know it doesn't it just doesn't work yeah um and uh, so it's kind of odd and you have this odd feeling in the movie throughout of like it, it looks like planet earth or something it's like this epic larger than life um david attenborough documentary but with like famous actors dubbed over the over the animals yeah and that's just like a weird sen- that central thing is weird and I, I found it like that was an issue for me like the whole film i just I, found that weird absolutely i think it's definitely a film which has animals whose human voices come out of their mouths but they're not talking animals yeah it yeah. never makes that successful. yeah they look too real they just look like actual animals yeah yeah, <laughs> and, it's, and I think this is compounded by some very starry voice casting. People with super distinctive voices. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so like Bill Murray's Baloo is a lot of fun, but it's like that's just Bill Murray's voice. Especially over. because he looks like he had to, he made up all his own lines. It really plays to Bill Murray's strengths. Absolutely. Yeah, but it doesn't ch- um, chime with the uh, lifelike bear. And similarly, Christopher Walken as King Louis. He's a, he's got like the most distinctive voice. And it's like they've given him lines which bring out the most walkany vowel sounds. He's talking yeah. about like papayas or a poor, poor fruit, Mowgli. 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 Give me the gifts of fire. It's just like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like, you couldn't yeah. find more walkany words I guess to it's, use. It's probably not a problem if you're a child watching this movie. Yeah, yeah, and it absolutely. is it is for children. But yeah, for adults who know these actors really well, it is yeah, distracting, <laughs> definitely. So the other thing about it being a remake is that there's a lot of big blockbusters that have been very successful. We've talked about this on the podcast before that are trading on nostalgia, like The Force Awakens and Jurassic World and stuff. And I continue to find that a little weird. And the thing that is weird about it is that they're getting more and more brazen in the way they reference the original movie so that they don't just resell a moment or a line or a scene or whatever to you that was sold to you in the original movie but they reference how that was done in the original movie does that make sense i was talking about this in the force awakens review when ray meets harrison ford yeah and she's like a fan yeah yeah, she's like oh my god it's harrison ford and it's the it's like the characters within the film joining you in the audience to watch an older film yeah that's how it that's how it feels and i felt like this in a a bit in the Jungle Book and the way that uh, they did the music. And the bit when Bill Murray sings The Bare Necessities, like that's a super famous song. Everyone knows how it goes. and But they do it in the movie like a cover version. Like Bill Murray is basically doing, uh, I don't know if uh, listeners, if you've heard Bill Murray doing his lounge singer character from SNL when he does like <laughs> hilarious renditions of um, the Star Wars theme tune or very recently he like came back to do Jaws. But um, it sounds like that. And it really only makes sense if you know the tune already, because he's doing a kind of ragged version where he <laughs> like, sings and shouts all over the place, speaks half of it, and he doesn't really sing the tune. So it's like a karaoke yeah. version of it. And so like, it's too winking at you about the original film. Yeah, the film is a bit of a weird hybrid in that it's uh, sort of a remake of the original Disney animation and then sort of a more faithful adaptation of the Ryard Kipling book. And for the most part, it kind of does a good job of the tone of being a bit more intense and scary than the animation. Purely, well, you know, there's a real fucking tiger. It's a lot scarier than a cartoon tiger. You know? But there are a couple of scenes where it kind of worked in the moment, which were a bit dark. But then looking back on it, it's like, that kind of sticks out as very dark, given the overall tone. And with that, like the film, I think, assumes you've seen the original and sort of leans a bit heavily on it to the point where it takes these sort of narrative shortcuts, which are a bit messy. 
this kind of backstory scene, which if the animation hadn't had existed, would have been at the start of the movie, is now a flashback. And sort of bits like that, it sort of just assumes you know the story. And so I don't think it goes to A to B that elegantly. Yeah. But it does import like most of the winning elements uh, from the first film, uh, particularly the bagheera bully relationship, which I find endlessly charming as a sort of proto-gay couple. Yeah. He's yeah. literally a bear. He's a bear, and like he's like the uptight one, but they both love the kid. I find it endlessly uh, sweet. Yeah, and they do that. They do that really well. I mean, I enjoyed the movie definitely. I think it succeeds on the level of being a fun adventure, and they don't mangle the original story. They they have a few different beats and stuff. Yeah, but it all works pretty well. The biggest change the film makes is in the conclusion, the the final act, and I think it's like the least successful part of the film because the ending is what really makes the Jungle Book. Because it's a very episodic series. It's just like a series of short stories. But it has a thematic journey, which climaxes in this ending. And the ending is different in a way which is clearly put in there to set up a sequel. But it's a bit... It makes the movie quite superficial. Like, none of the characters have really learned that much. Or it's a bit kind of confused what the message is. Yeah. And in a way which is like, oh, it's just... You know, they had a classic story and now it's just a slightly more trivial version of it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I would say the difference is... In the original book and in the animation, the jungle is very heavily metaphorical. But in this movie, the jungle is a jungle and it's about a guy killing a big cat. Well, in the, in the original cartoon, like you're never in any doubt that he's going to leave the jungle, right? It's like clearly that's a place for him as a child. Yeah. Don't you think? And when you, when, like, in the movie, it's obvious that when he grows up, he's leaving that jungle. Yeah. Whereas in, in this movie, it doesn't seem, you know... Doesn't seem that clear at all. They'd spend so long rendering out that jungle, they can't make one like, film. He can't go out of there. He <laughs> yeah. can't get out of there. Yeah, they, they spent a long time in that peace rock, and it's got to come back. <laughs> yeah. They've Unfortunately, the, files. the only problem with the sequel is that they won't be able to get Gary Shandling back as the porcupine. I really enjoyed that odd bit of casting. Dead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, Gary right. Shandling is also Gary dead. Gary Shandling is also dead. Yeah. And this will turn out to be his last film for some reason, The Voice of a Porcupine. It's a bit like... Uh... Can't be uh, Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier. But anyway, so in conclusion, go to see it for that shandling porcupine scene. It's pretty epic. Yeah, it's fun, diverting stuff. Looks, I mean, it really does look incredible. It looks incredible. It looks incredible. But I think, you know, doesn't escape the shadow of the animation. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton. She was up with her dog and we got talking. I asked her what she does when she isn't acting. She said she likes podcasts for relaxing. Imelda, when you're in the mood, what do you listen to? She said, I listen to one podcast. I listen to one podcast. Will you the one can kiss my ass? If I listen to one podcast. Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat. Yeah, so on the podcast, we like to feature the musical efforts of Idris Elba. He usually marks the release of one of his films with a little tune, which some comedically doesn't appear in the finished film. It's a problem he has. He's always putting all this effort in and it just doesn't turn out that well. Yeah. And The Jungle Book is no different. When he was hired to play Shere Khan, he noticed that many of the animal characters get a song. The snake gets a song. The bear gets a song. Um, the monkey gets a song. The monkey gets a song. Uh, that's an ape, Danny. That is an ape. Sorry. How dare you. But Shere Khan does not get a song. And so he was like, that's no problem. Favreau, I'm going to write you a song, which he did. And he chose a scene for it to go in. It was going to be the introduction of uh, Shere Khan's character with interjections from 
uh, Akela, the wolf pack leader, as in the clip you heard earlier um, during our review. But Favreau brutally cut the song out and threw it to the CG cutting room jungle floor. But fortunately, Idris got in touch with Film Chat. He knows that we're the best outlet for his creative works that don't necessarily make it anywhere else. And he asked us if we can uh, play a little bit of it so that yeah. you know at least some people in the world can hear what he spent all that time doing. Absolutely. So, so to play us out, a bit of uh, Sheer Khan. He, he always likes to mention Luther as well. So <laughs> can't resist mentioning his favorite TV character, Luther. That might have been something that Favreau didn't enjoy. Anyway, so listen to that. And next week, we'll be doing what? Uh, I don't know. I might go see that Miles Davis movie. Maybe that Miles Davis. And Idris actually has another film, Bastille Day. Oh, yeah. Yet to find out whether he's got a musical contribution for that one. But we'll he might. See. He might. Yeah. All right. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Vote for us on the Podcast Awards. Vote for us on the Podcast Awards. Bye. Hello, man cub. Nice to smell ya. You don't know who I am, but I'm about to tell ya. Come with me, I'll tell you how I got my scar. Mowgli belongs to my pack, Jerk. They called it Mowgli? That sounds a bit lame. I'd have gone with Luther, that's a proper name. Either way, men are banned. He's just a cub. Yeah, and a cub becomes a man, and there's the rub. He's such a cutie pie, you think he's nothing like the others. Then there's fire in your eye, making you permanently butters. Men are villains, and that's the truth. Though if I had to pick one, I like John Luther. Mowgli, do not fear. Oh, it's Bagheera. Stay at the rear, you must avoid that scary tiger. Why are you here, you angry human-hating blighter? We can chat if you like, but you must be polite. I move hunting ground, you will forget the law. Too busy lazing around and picking out pawpaws. The jungle is a place that you can't keep a kid in by the scar on my face. Man is forbidden, I'm a hungry cat. And I won't be happy till I've eaten that brat in the big red nappy. Bring him to me, or you're all done. I'll be under that tree watching Luther reruns. Shercon, tougher than an elephant, pricklier than a pear plant. Beware, Shercon. That's my song. It introduced me. I'll be back later on in a different scene. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.